0: this is a relay project real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson
1: a good monday to you it's almost october can you believe it? It's September 26th, Jesperson here with Hicks, thanks for making time for us. Cozy season. It is cozy season. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're sort of uh, layering, well I am anyway, in studio. You know, I notice you've got your nice yeah. fall jacket hanging in the hallway, oh, yeah. not quite chunky sweater <laughs> weather, but we're getting there. You have a good weekend? I did, how are you there? How was yours? Yeah, not too bad. Had some, had some great family time and, and grabbed a brunch around a still in that we're still squeezing the most we can out of outdoor patio season mm-hmm. uh, but there was a nice we went to a, a, a beautiful city just south of Edmonton Beaumont, Alberta. Oh beautiful to one of our favorite restaurants out there Chartier S- and they have uh, fires burning they have like the fire tables yeah so you can uh, find that beautiful crisp fall morning vibe yeah and uh, yeah Wyatt uh, dug into their giant cinnamon bun and everybody had big smiles on their face so it was a, a grand success great use you know
2: Beaumont supposed to be like it's supposed to be amalgamated or it's supposed to become part of Edmonton oh don't tell them that they years. would lose their yeah they would lose their damn minds if you ever
1: suggested <laughs> that to them Beaumont I believe is the, it's happening Beaumont is the newest city in Alberta they were just they were just named a city I think a few years ago and there's yeah. a whole bunch of stuff that comes goes along with that and a very proud city great Francophone culture out there love that uh, big announcement the morning out of ottawa and this has been coming for a while as of october 1st ottawa's lifting virtually all travel restrictions related mm-hmm. to covid so as of october 1st not as of today but as of october 1st uh, health measures that have been removed for travelers will include mandatory masks on planes and trains uh, quarantine requirements use of the arrive can app covid 19 testing proof of vaccination the whole nine yards. We're asking you in an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll on my Twitter this morning at Ryan Jesperson. Uh, thanks for giving me a follow there. Will you still wear a mask in transit, even if it's not required? Uh, we posted this just, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes ago, something like that. Uh, about 300 votes at this point. So far, six out of 10 respondents, about 60% say, hell yeah, I will still wear a mask. About 23%, let's call it one in four of you-ish, say, no. Hell no, I'm not still wearing a mask in transit. And about 17% of you at this point say, well, it depends. And so we've asked you to explain below, and we'll get to some of your comments through the show. I'm excited to ask both of our guests this morning. Of course, Charles Adler joins us every Monday. We love it. A tradition here on the show. And then uh, journalist Andrea Wu with The Globe and Mail is going to join us from Vancouver in about a half hour's time. She's here to talk about the the growing burnout that they're noticing and growing wait lists, which is not a good development, obviously, when it comes to BC's cancer care, in particular cancer surgeries. Is this directly related to COVID-19? Probably, but we'll ask Andrea, who's been doing a deep dive on this. Marion has chimed in on our uh, Twitter poll. She says, I always seem to catch a cold when I fly. Uh, She says, so I take cold effects before I fly. I don't think that stuff works, but whatever. She says, uh, it tends to stop the colds, but with COVID, who knows what virus will come in the future? I will still wear a mask while flying. That from Marion uh another loyal loyal fan says I'd prefer not to wear a mask but if somebody asked me to for their comfort level, I would. that's kind of a nice comment appreciate mm-hmm. that. The virus says well I certainly would wear a mask in transit as you put it. what this really ensures for me is that I simply won't be traveling anywhere at all for the foreseeable future. They don't want to be around a whole bunch of people not wearing masks. Another psych aide says, like, I'm going anywhere anytime soon. Steve says, it depends on where I'm heading. If I'm going to Florida, yes. If I'm going to Hawaii, no. Maybe that's an uh, an editorial comment on who else may be headed to Steve's destination. How about you? If you were flying right now, and it was not mandatory to wear a mask, do you think you'd wear a mask on the plane? I would
2: still wear a mask. My mom just got COVID this week. She just tested negative today, but she had it from last Saturday, and it's from a trip to Vancouver. She went to visit my sister, so... Uh, it's still out there, so I think on a plane, yeah, I'd, I'd probably still wear the mask.
1: Yeah, there there were certain things about wearing a mask that, and I know not everyone will share this perspective, but certain things that I started to really like that had so did I nothing to do with COVID being like you or know just being sort of more anonymous or being yeah, sort 100%. of closed down. Like I loved yeah. actually walking through stores with a big mask on. Yeah, um, let alone walking around outside. Uh, I didn't wear a lot of masks outside, but you know what I'm saying. With the mask and the sunglasses combo, I remember walking into a bank early... (laughs) Early in COVID, (laughs) and I was taking my sunglasses off as I walked through the vestibule, that sort of front foyer entrance. But I'm like, can you imagine three, four, five years ago if you would have walked into a bank wearing a ball cap, sunglasses, and a mask? To make a withdrawal. I'd like to make a large withdrawal. I do
2: know you still wear a mask uh, out and about because I uh, used your truck this weekend. We picked up some stuff for the new uh, Real Talk studio, and there's a mask hanging right on the uh, left right turn right on the turn signal there and uh yeah my wife the same like she likes wearing her mask in the morning to go get her coffee she doesn't have to put on makeup she's inconspicuous nobody Mm. sees her nobody knows who she Mm -hmm. is so there are some upsides yeah
1: i'm also one who uh, have never had a hard time sleeping on a plane there there are sort of folks that that had that would love to sleep on planes but can't get to sleep they toss and turn and it drives them nuts you can't imagine sleeping straight up sitting straight up And then there are other people that have absolutely no problem whatsoever crashing on a plane, sleeping, I should put it. (laughs) And uh, I'm one of those. And I've always loved to sleep on planes. But my wife has let me know that when I sleep, I do it with my mouth wide open, my head (laughs) tilted back on the seat, my mouth wide open. I embarrass myself. And so the mask has added this layer of sort of like uh, it's not doesn't make it discreet, but it makes me more comfortably able to saw logs on a plane. So. I think I'm going to count myself among those that's probably still going to wear a mask on a plane. Uh, No judgment to those that are, listen, following the rules. Uh, The rules have got to this point. The government's lifted these restrictions because they say that COVID's got to a point, not over, but it's got to a point where it's been eased. If you listen to last week's edition of Seriously, the podcast project, Supriya DeVetti and myself, we talked about this. We focused in particular on American President Joe Biden's comments on 60 Minutes where he says straight up, The pandemic is over, and we examine whether or not uh, that's a dangerous thing for POTUS to say. You can check out Seriously anywhere you get your podcast. Check out seriouslypod.com. And, of course, this Wednesday, two days from now, there will be another fresh episode dropping for your enjoyment. Appreciate everybody that subscribes to that and shows Seriously some love. Leah says, on airplanes, you know, just because even pre-COVID, I got sick a lot after flying. I haven't been sick with flying since COVID. You know, Ms. Marvel, Marvel, rather says every time I fly, COVID or not, I get sick. It seems every single time mm-hmm. I'm stuck in a metal tube with hundreds of filthy animals who insist on breathing everywhere. Isn't so annoying when people insist on breathing? Says yes, I will <laughs> still wear a mask. Says Ms. Marvel, <laughs> no problem.
2: Damn breathers! <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll see how we'll see where this poll goes through the next hour or so as we do the show. But of course, you know you have 24 hours to do it. We make our polls about a day long. And that means that tomorrow on Tuesday's episode of Real Talk, we'll check back on this and and see where it's at. Of course, there are other things happening across the country. Uh, Fiona making landfall down Eastern Canada. Atlantic Canada saw it uh, Saturday evening. Uh, Several hundred thousand people without power, but relatively speaking, it it was one of the more gentle touchdowns in the context of storms that Canada has seen. I mean, tell that to people who had their trees uprooted and their cars demolished and things like that, but still, generally speaking, uh, and there were some sad stories. Uh, you may have heard the story of one woman, 73 years of age, swept out to see her body was recovered. And I know that people are mourning losses there. We we don't uh, endeavor to make light of it or to to, to uh, act as though it wasn't significant to people whose lives were directly impacted. But, but as hundreds of thousands of Canadians still without power today, uh, we reflect on that storm's path up the eastern seaboard, of course, as it made its way through the Caribbean, some serious devastation through nations down there. We were taking a look, of course, uh, you remember Puerto Rico, the Turks and Caicos, those those nations that were impacted there. That's a story we'll continue to keep an eye on. Oftentimes, these stories will fall out of the news cycle. It doesn't mean they're not still significant to millions of people. Charles Adler coming up in, in just a moment. How, how did you like that truck? The saf- you know, the, I mean, this this weekend, I mean, I'm getting it back from you this afternoon. This weekend, you had it. John, you had to do some running around. You had to do some tasks related to us moving into our new studio in the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks.
2: As I said. What do you think of that
1: 1500, that Ram 1500? The
2: Longhorn Edition. It truly is an experience. It's a rustic uh, dream for any Albertan, that's you were, for sure. You were,
1: you you got our, we needed to get our hands on a big ladder. You're going to mm-hmm. be hanging some studio lights on a yeah. big high uh, you know, ceiling in our yeah. in our new space. And so you were using the Ratchet straps, nice and yeah. convenient
2: to use. The tie downs, the box, everything's convenient. Funny thing is, we ordered a 10 foot. They brought out a 28 foot. And oh, immediately geez. I looked at it and was like, this isn't the ladder we ordered. But the ladder we ordered was about $200. The ladder they brought out was about $650. So I was like do I just keep this ladder, sell it, and make the 450? Everybody everybody
1: here knows what you did.
2: But it was about two lengths of your cab in your truck. So I said, you know what? You guys better take this back and give us the right one. Also because
1: you are a man of integrity, John. I am. am. Well done. You know, at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, you're going to find Alberta's best selection of those Ram 1500s. We're loving the Longhorn. We have a lot of fun with it. I love the trim level. There's also, of course, the Limited, the Sport. There's a whole bunch of different additions for you to take your – pick and, and hey maybe if pickups aren't your thing they've got uh, jeep i mean when it comes to people that are maybe looking at downsize based on what they're paying at the pumps right now jeep's got some great options including that wrangler 4x e the first electric jeep wrangler absolutely love it you can browse inventory online or go talk to their teams in person at sherwood and st albert dodge Hey, before you know it, Thanksgiving's going to be here. And our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you, uh, they have been making people look good for decades. That's right through their Thanksgiving dinner box. None of the work for you, but all of the praise. You can order it ahead of time. And I love the pricing on this. Just $60 feeds four people that's $15 a head of course if you need uh, food for 40 they can swing that too you go to freezing.com. we're talking about roasted turkey cured overnight cooked low and slow guaranteed to melt off your fork Baked potatoes with all the fixings, roasted root vegetables, gravy and cranberry sauce, and their famous sourdough dinner buns. I recommend you add on Granny's stuffing, and they've got that ham and bacon cheese ball, too. Absolutely fantastic. You can order online at Friesen.com in time for the Thanksgiving holiday. At Apex Automation, they're looking for Canada's most talented engineers. We've been telling you about this team that's been serving industries like, you know, pipelines across Western Canada, natural gas processing facilities, chemical manufacturing plants, potash mining. Our friends in Saskatchewan, I know that you know a lot more about that than the rest of the country. You guys are doing amazing work out there. In the field of automation, engineering, and fabrication, nobody's better than Apex Automation, and they're always hiring. You can check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. And before we get to Charles Adler, let me remind you the deadline is fast approaching for you to get your hands on tickets for this year's Covenant Foundation Lottery. Now, John and I have been doing a lot of talking about this $2.2 million dream home that comes fully furnished, but there's so much more that you could win as you support the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals through your ticket purchase. Luxury vacations like Prince Edward Island, London, England, Portugal, New York, Scotland... How about luxury vehicles? A Beamer, an Alfa Romeo, a Lexus IS300 all-wheel drive up for grabs. Plus, heli hiking, a luxury ranch experience, guided fly fishing adventures, and glamping by Refuge Bay. Oh, yeah. You can learn more details about the Covenant Foundation Lottery. Get your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Every Monday, it's uh, an honor to check in with the Emmy Award-winning talk host, the RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award winner, the uh, longtime purveyor of Canadian common sense, Charles Adler. It's wonderful to see your face this morning, my
3: friend. How was your weekend? Uh, great, great to see you. Uh, had a, uh, a busy weekend. Can't remember what I did. <laughs> I did too much. Before we do anything else, want to wish our uh, Jewish listeners, Jewish mm. followers, a happy Rosh Hashanah Shana Tova. Love
1: it, Charles. Uh, we've been hearing from uh, Ottawa this morning lifting COVID travel restrictions, and, and that includes no more mandatory masking on airplanes, on trains. All this goes into effect October 1st. There are other implications that may be more significant than wearing the masks, but but I think that's the one that's going to really resonate with people as they look around them on those long metal tubes, and, and the majority of people may not be masked anymore. How about you? When you fly, when you travel, will you still mask up? Where do you stand on it?
3: Oh, a- absolutely. I, I take... I take all my cues on these things uh, from folks from Asia. And one of the benefits of uh, moving to Vancouver, I mean, I'm all over the place now, but uh, I, I changed the, the base to Vancouver about uh, seven years ago. And uh, one of the benefits was um, in the mall that we were in, uh, that's where the, the radio station was. It was impossible not to notice that there were thousands of people who were Asian Canadians and Many of them wore masks, and this is long before COVID-19. And uh, I do not think these people are doing that for no reason at all. And then I I looked into it. I did a little bit of real research, not, you know, uh, Facebook hate sites and stuff like that. And I just found out that uh, many of these uh, folks believe this is, once again, long before COVID, that uh, one of the ways that they cut down on flus and, and just the common cold and all of that is to wear a mask. And I thought to myself, I wonder if we ever do this in the West. And of course, whatever it was, three or four years later, it's COVID-19 time. So bottom line, I'll be on a plane uh, this week like I am on most weeks. Will I be wearing a mask? Absolutely. Will I give a damn whether the government's rule is to wear one or not to wear one? Absolutely not. This has nothing to do with the government. This has got to do with what I think of as Canadian common sense I want to stay as healthy as possible.
1: Yeah. We ran into somebody who were walking our dog the other week and her little guy was wearing a mask and uh, she just made a quick comment, um, not even prompted, but she just basically said, yeah, he's got the sniffles. She said, we don't think it's COVID, but we're just going to have him wear a mask anyway. And I sort of thought, I think that there has been, like you alluded to, I mean, in other parts of the world, this has been par for the course. This has been completely normal practice for years. I think that it will have changed some people these last couple of years with regards to protecting other people, not just ourselves.
3: Well, I get colds, you know. You know, we can we can talk about protecting other people, but I, I think in general, no matter what people say publicly, most people act in their own self interest. Mm. And so, I would say just the last few years, uh, when you know I'm someone who, who catches colds like all the time, and and the, the flus and the bugs and all the rest of it, and since wearing a mask, I guess it's almost three years now. It seems haven't had any of that. So, I'm, I'm, am I am I saying that? Uh, uh, correlation is causation. Causation is correlation. Caus- don't, I don't care. I, you know, I don't want to do all kinds of academic formulas here. I just know that it, for me, it has worked, and it has worked for a number of other people. Can I guarantee that you won't get COVID or won't get? A- no. So, so for the the people who are sort of, I don't know, just the the permanently outraged, the the, the chronic uh, grievance junkies, or whatever, just simmer down. I'm not even talking to you. I'm not even thinking about you except as a courtesy right now because I know that you're, you're looking to jump all over. Oh, Charles Adler, left winger, is guaranteeing that if you wear a mask, uh, you won't get cancer. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for a number of people, they have cut down on the bugs they suffer from because they've been wearing a mask. And so I'm not wearing a mask all the time. Naturally, I'm not wearing a mask right now. But on that plane... Yeah, I'll be wearing a mask. Is it a crazy thing to do? Not in my opinion. And it's not imposing on anyone else's freedom. And if some jackass wants to, you know, get snarky with me about it, uh, I tend not to be shy. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, no, I've never seen you shy. Uh, we're at about
1: 450 votes right now. I'm curious to see where this will go over the course of a day, but the numbers are holding pretty true. We've dipped just below 60%. About 6 out of 10 respondents say they'll continue to wear a mask in transit. About a quarter. It's up a couple of percentage points since we last checked. About 24% say, hell no, I'm not going to wear a mask anymore. I noticed a comment on our live chat from Erica who says, uh, uh, Erica says, I don't generally mind wearing a mask, but we had a six-hour flight to Mexico this summer. By the end, I was ready to rip that thing off off and burn it uh so there you go that's erica uh charles the conservatives you don't blame them the federal party political uh when you say political opportunism it's almost a redundant statement because that's what politicians have to do they have to pounce and claim victories where they can uh you know a lot of supporters of the the new conservative leader are saying see pierre polyev got the mask mandate lifted on planes he got it all (laughs) done it's a win for them
3: it was it was never going to expire they were never going to update it yeah. Everything is about... Hey, but Here, claim, claim your wins
1: where you can take them. But but yeah, an interesting yeah. statement from from Pierre Polyev that has absolutely nothing to do with masks. And and there's nothing funny about this. I uh, wanted to get your take oh. on this. A statement from the conservative leader, the official opposition leader, says this weekend I became aware of disgusting comments made by Jeremy McKenzie. People are going to remember that name. This is the Diagolon founder. This is the guy that was photographed with Pierre Polyev a, a while ago. And again, I'm not faulting Polyev for, for knowing Or not knowing who he's shaking hands with. I think he probably knew who this guy was. But he says, they discussed sexually assaulting my wife. These men are dirtbags, says the conservative leader. You don't see that all the time. He says, frankly, like most Canadians until about a month ago, I'd never heard of Diaglon. And these losers, they are all odious. He says, his office has referred the comments to the cops. Says, no one should face this abuse. Says, people can attack my politics, call me names, protest my ideas. But threatening my wife and family is appalling. And I will not tolerate it. Leave my family alone. Uh, I don't blame him for saying that. Where do you stand on this somewhat remarkable statement from Pierre Polyev?
3: Well, I I find it remarkable. and uh, So let me just uh, do the polite uh, Canadian business here first. Obviously, I don't want anyone's wife or child to be threatened. I don't want anyone's family to be threatened. And I have uh, 100% sympathy for for families who are involved in public life. Okay, so let me just get that out of the way. Um, But here's what matters. Um, The idea that he didn't know what the Aguilon was until a month ago, Nonsense. All people who are in Pierre Polyev's position have security people that obviously aren't doing interviews um, with Ryan Jesperson or anyone else, and uh, they get a heads up about various organizations. Uh, Even mainstream media, that dreaded mainstream media, was publishing stuff about Diagalon way back when, when uh, Pierre Polyev was playing footsie and huggy-huggy and and whatever, uh, I guess, uh, transactional politics praising the convoy. Uh, Diagalon was was part of that, and it was reported a long time ago. But beyond that, he shook hands with the dirtbag recently, and uh, whether he knew who he was or not, he found out very shortly thereafter. That's why it became a big story. How much denouncing did he do of the dirtbag back then? How much denouncing did he do of Diagalon back then? That much. So here's the thing, and this is nothing with right wing, left wing. If you're a real human being, and you know that these people are dirtbags and have known for quite some time, the idea that you would wait until they threaten your family to all of a sudden decide, all of a sudden discover that they're dirtbags, that's not even close to genuine, and I'm just going to be old-fashioned here if you don't mind, that's not even close to manly. That is a really chicken-hearted approach to life. And I have no idea why traditional conservatives would ever think of this person as having any moral authority at all. Do you think that
1: something like this, when it gets personal like this, changes or alters the mindset of Mr. Poyev with regards to who he's willing to align himself with, who he's willing to pander to, who he's willing to so-called recruit for conservative support?
3: It doesn't change the mindset. It just all of a sudden makes you drop your political BS. All of a sudden, you're no longer worried about turning off this group and that group. Oh my God, they, they might go to Maxime Bernier. You don't care about that because you care about your wife and your child. So, I mean, you can say that changes your mindset, but really all it does is it becomes crystal clear to you that these people like to threaten people and hurt people. My only point here is if you're going to be a public servant, if you're talking about serving the entire Canadian nation it should, bother, it should have bothered him a long time ago that people who like to hurt people and threaten people and stalk people are people who are attracted to him. It doesn't take much. Ronald Reagan used to say this all the time. He didn't call them dirtbags because that's not how he talked, but he just said, this crowd, I'm not going to them. They're coming to me, but I'm not going to them. And he never failed to do the appropriate denouncing. That's all I'm asking up to do. You know, he could just say, you know, I shook hands with a guy. I shake hands with all kinds of people. I didn't know that he was a scumbag. He is, and so is his organization. And uh, they can support me if they like, but I'm never going to support them. Huh. What, what does that take, 25 seconds? And is, is anyone going to tell me, oh, if he does that, Maxime Bernier is going to gain 10 points. And, and the Conservatives will never win. Anyone who is that paranoid and anyone who has that little respect for the common sense of Canadians and the common decency of Canadians should not be involved in politics.
1: Glenna uh, on our live chat says when you play with dirtbags, you're going to get dirty. Uh, Tracy says this is just being torqued for politics. Emma says, they, I, I guess they weren't dirtbags when Pierre thought they'd give him votes. And then Travis references the you know the common phrase he says leopards ate your face hey Pierre who would have seen that coming of course this is the uh, what's what's that thing they say John I, I never thought they'd eat my face cried the woman who voted for the leopard eating faces party I think that's what they say there. Hey, I, I don't know if I i can't decide if I want to. Uh, you and I are supposed to have serious conversation. We're supposed to keep it on the level. We're supposed to keep it classy. So I don't even know. Uh, most people hear this on the podcast, but should I show this on YouTube? John, I guess I'll show it on YouTube. This is a photo, obviously, Photoshopped, posted uh, by uh, a prominent Alberta conservative. Uh, people know him as, as as the Grand Pappy of the Orphan Wells. Uh, This is W. Brett Wilson, who posted a photo over the weekend, doctored of the uh, prime minister wearing those prosthetic breasts, the one that the the teacher wore that everybody was talking about last week. Uh, And you seem to take issue with it. As a matter of fact, you called him out quite publicly. W. Brett Wilson, you did. You want to take this on?
3: Uh, Yeah, Okay. I mean, uh, here's what I uh, here's what I uh, tweeted. Um, Brett, uh, can't believe how often I felt fortunate. To have you on my show. You were the thoughtful and credible, frequently, you were the best of Dragon's Den. But now, this WTF, which means what the, well, what does it mean? What is the, I? You're the one who yeah, What in the flying heck? Yeah, what, okay, WTF, what in the flying heck is wrong with you? What's wrong with you?
1: I've been trying to figure this out for years. I don't know what's going on. I see Jamie Soleil, Canada's gold medal darling, arguing that Trudeau should be hauled before a criminal tribunal, Uh, you know, referencing American legislation. She's going to crimes against humanity. Uh, We've talked about Theo Fleury before. It feels like a pile on at this point. Brett Wilson. These are a lot of people that were very prominent, admired public figures for many, many years uh, I can't wrap my mind around what we're seeing from the this trio. In I think, particular, I think,
3: I think it's about ice. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a CSIS guy. I'm not FBI. I'm not a psychologist. I'm well, not even what a doctor. Phil, psychologist. I think it's ice because here, here, you gotta, you gotta look for patterns, uh, Brian. Patterns. Patterns matter. Um, every time you see one of these talking head uh, shows on TV, they bring an expert on. Patterns matter. Let's look at the pattern. All right. So, uh, Brett Wilson. He's uh, a part owner, major owner, but he's one of the owners. Of the Nashville team, right? Nashville hockey team. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay, the Predators. Okay, so that's that's ice. Okay, just think, focus on ice hockey. Ice. Um, Jamie is with Jamie not an ice skating champion. Is it the best one. Best in the world. Who Jamie is best in the world. Okay, and 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 Theo, gold medalist for Canada, Stanley Cups, up the yin yang. I mean, there it is. Theo, Jamie, Brett. It's about the ice. They are on. Thin ice, Ryan. Yeah.
1: This is a uh, fall from grace. I know for a lot of people that you're trying to wrap their minds around it, but you can't ignore the fact that there's a ton of influence, right? Like uh, some of the, some of the posts from Jamie Saleh in particular that are, and, and, and I have mixed feelings about this because Jamie and I used to kind of be pals casually anyway. Yeah. And when you see something well, like I, like Theo I would say, I. That,
3: yeah, I mean, you and Theo, Theo were friends for Theo a long Theo. time. like. Theo used to call me his big brother, and I called him my little brother and I, just, yeah. I, I loved uh, Theo i'm not going to you know I'm not going to deny the undeniable I, I, if I had any idea that he was going to become a cliff diver, you know I, I would have maybe said something yeah it's embarrassing
1: it's 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 troubling and I, and I say that sincerely uh and, and it's hard to watch just because I know that that you know many people like I'm talking millions of people still admire these folks and and the uh, the sway that they have and the influence that they have uh, and clearly in spreading messages these aren't differences of opinion no, you know this no. isn't whether or not it's time to lift the mask mandate it's 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 things that are just like so far out in space um, and when I see literally thousands of people liking and sharing these tweets I have mixed feelings even when I see people that I know like mutual friends sharing that stuff on social media and you just kind of it's like, I'm not, I'm not to the point where I'm gonna be reaching out to these people. I've had kind of enough of that. To, um,
3: to, to, to be serious for a moment uh, on this, cause it is serious. There is something out there and folks do not believe that when Theo, Jamie, Brett, others uh, are tweeting and stuff, don't, don't go for this. Oh, he's just trying to have us on and she's just trying to, no, no, no. They, they believe this. Oh yeah. And, and, and I don't have to be a, a trained psychologist to know, cause I've Done enough uh, interviews and I've lived a, enough of a life to know that when people believe something, evidence does not matter. They see things that don't even exist, they believe things that are not real. It excites a certain part of the brain that does not require evidence. And so, yeah, do they come across as crazy? Of course. Does this mean that Theo wasn't a fabulous hockey player? Of course not. Does this mean that Jamie wasn't a, an absolute artist on the ice? Of course not. Does this mean that Brett Wilson doesn't know anything about business or, or they didn't know what he was talking about in the dragon? Of course not. This is a separate area of the brain. And I'm just not going to take it any further than that. All I know is that as a person who's relatively grounded, like 90% of people or 99%, whatever it is, just a normal, just a normal, just a normal human being. All I know is that these people are living in the twilight zone, and it's not about entertainment and it's not about clicks. They genuinely believe this stuff, and that's what makes them unfortunately dangerous. Not that they are going to do anything crazy, but they influence people who are deranged. And the deranged people don't know the difference between the guys living in the twilight zone. And the guy's living on this planet. Mm. Before we thank you for your time, Charles,
1: uh, I want to ask you about your support for CBC anchor Janela Massa over the weekend. Uh, You tweeted about it. Uh, She says, I usually try to let my work speak for itself, but apparently this needs to be said explicitly. Uh, She talks about the interviews that she's done, uh, women fighting for the right to wear their hijab, uh, as well as the right to remove their hijab. Uh, She herself, of course, uh, wears one on the desk. Uh, Can you talk about, Tell us why this was important for you to, to comment on publicly and, and where your head's at with regards to what you're seeing both on Canadian soil and then, of course, in Iran, remarkable stuff happening.
3: Well, I've got, you know, the people who are in the news these days are two groups who are heroes of mine. Uh, one, uh, the people of Ukraine. I just think what they're doing is magnificent. They will go down in history as among the most heroic of all. They have stripped the emperor, that is Vladimir Putin, of his clothes, this emperor has no clothes. This person was seen as a wise, um, brilliant strategic thinker, a great chess player. He's none of that. He's a lousy checker player. He's a stinking human being. And the Ukrainians are suffering like crazy, even though right now they're they're winning some battles, taking back some land. Uh, much of the land they're taking back, they're discovering uh, graves of uh, people, including children, who weren't just just murdered yeah they were raped and tortured so that's what the ukrainian people are dealing with naturally they're they're heroes of mine and that has nothing to do with the fact that i'm from that part of the world i was born uh, an hour train ride uh, from ukraine so ukraine now we switch focus to what ryan was just alluding to the women of iran i mean think about this that is a real dictatorship okay It's not Theo Fleury or Brett Wilson's idea of a dictatorship. It's a real dictatorship. And in that real dictatorship where they've got morality police, that's what they call them, making sure that women wear hijabs, women are cutting their hair, tearing off their hijabs publicly. And some of those people who are doing it publicly, some of those women are getting murdered. And of course... These women, I mean, they just, they, they can't be heroic enough, as far as I'm concerned, for what they're doing for people, but specifically for women around the world. So they're heroes. Now, if, you, if we're talking about the CBC anchor, I mean, she's deciding, of course, that she wants to wear her hijab, and that's that, thats wonderful. But here in Canada, before we get too smug, we've got a law in Quebec where women like her, like Gina, are told, if you're working in the public sector, they've got an exception now for, for teachers. They ran into a little bit of trouble. But they basically want anyone at all who works in the public sector, public service in Quebec, anyone who's dealing with members of the public, to not wear any religious garments. And that includes the hijab. To me, that violates uh, the rights of women. It violates the rights of, of all people not to be able to wear whatever it is they choose to wear. Nobody mistakes me for a religious person. I'm not. But am I for human rights? And am I for the the rights of women? And does Gina violate anybody's rights by wearing a hijab? I don't think so. And so I praise her, because I know it takes a lot of courage because you can just imagine, Ryan, based on just the, the, the contacts we get from hateful people, can you imagine how many hate remarks she gets every single day, whether it's on email, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, she's a target, she's brave, She's heroic too. And so, whether you want to wear a hijab or don't want to wear a hijab, it's your choice, Mm. not the government's choice, not the government of Iran, and not the government of Quebec. Charles Adler, every Monday, right here
1: on Real Talk. Uh, As uh, Gord Downey said about the Rio Statics, who opened for them on the road way back when, we are richer having heard you today. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, my friend. You got it. You can follow Chuck on Twitter if you don't already at Charles Adler. And of course, you can find him right here on Real Talk every week. Andrea Wu, The Globe and Mail. In just a moment, we want to remind you that these conversations happen because of amazing partners like our friends, our Apple experts at Westworld Computers. They're pretty excited to let you know that the iPhone 14 Pro has touched down Pro Beyond and now available in store and online at Westworld.ca. Did you see who their new spokesperson is? Did I did. Did you see the ads in yeah. football yesterday? LeBron. Yeah. LeBron's got his hands on his iPhone 14. I've been rocking the iPhone 13 Pro Max, and now I'm starting to feel like, is it time for an upgrade? I'm becoming that person. You want it. I get it. I need it. The minute that Apple comes up with a new product, you're like, I need the upgrade. If it's your MacBook Pro, your MacBook Air, your iPhone, or whatever else that needs to be upgraded, Westworld is the store To go to, of course, also, they've got their Apple Business Services. They're a member of the Apple Consultants Network. They're also a Bell dealer. You can learn more, as mentioned, at westworld.ca or go see them in person in their store in our home city. They're in West Edmonton, just along 170th Street. At Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider, they want to remind you about the different options you have as a consumer. They've got the fixed rates. They've got the variable rates. And if you're like me and your head starts to spin when you think about all of this, probably the best thing that we can hammer home today is if you go to parkpower.ca, it's super easy to compare rates. What you're paying right now with your current providers versus what you would be paying with Park Power. Everybody's budgets are tighter these days. Why not save yourself a few bucks right now on internet, electricity and natural gas with Park Power. When you sign up, the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill from your friendly local utilities provider. At Eden Landscaping, they're bringing outdoor spaces to life. And, of course, that process sometimes is about a whole lot more than just getting shovels in the ground. Right? You're going, well, it's almost October. I'm not starting a landscaping project now. But what about April? If you want to start in April and have it ready for July... You probably want to get your permits going. You want to get the design done right now. The precise attention to detail starts with planning ahead of time. Mike and his team want to talk to you so they're able to make sure that your timeline works out. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you can check out what they do, make contact with them, and get the ball rolling with Eden Landscaping. And our friends at Local Environmental Services providing solutions, garbage, recycling, fencing, portable toilets, water hauling, whatever it is. If you're in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Local Environmental Services wants to compete for your business. If you're an entrepreneur, maybe a retailer, hotelier, uh, they want to talk to you, you can request a quote right now. They guarantee the best possible price, plus better service and more support for local causes. And don't forget, Local Environmental Services presenting Trash Talk every Friday right here on Real Talk. Well, our next guest has been doing amazing work reporting on healthcare across the country. For the past number of years, we've spoken to Andrea Wu and past here on the show, in particular, about Canada's opioid crisis. She's been doing a ton of research on the impacts, the different impacts of COVID-19, and that includes staff shortages and delays when it comes to cancer care and cancer surgeries in her home province of British Columbia. Kind enough to join us bright and early from the west coast it's wonderful to see again globe and mail journalist andrea wu welcome to the show thank
4: you for having me great to see you again
1: yeah an announcement out of ottawa this morning uh, you and I would have both seen it, along with everybody else in Western Canada, first thing when we woke up. Uh, travel restrictions being lifted. That includes things like masks on airplanes, mandatory use of the Arrive Can app, uh, quarantining and the like. Uh, we've been casually polling our audience members by way of an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll right now. About 600 votes, about 60% of people say they're still going to wear a mask on airplanes. About a quarter of respondents say, hell no. No. How about you? I would imagine that your profession may impact your personal perspective on things like this.
4: Well, I mean, I, I didn't watch the whole news conference this morning. They did note that they also had Howard Nuon on saying that, you know, COVID is very much not over. You should be wearing your mask. And then at the same time saying we're vaccinated to the point that it's not having the same impacts anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I will personally still be wearing a mask on planes. It's Really, no huge burden to me. I don't understand why it ever has been a huge uh, trouble for anyone to do that. It's just about the easiest thing you could possibly do. But uh, say, Lavie. Yeah.
1: Say, Lavie. I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> I might take it. I'll take it off the odd time to kind of catch my breath and I understand some people. I, I know that the proper. F- Phrase is probably not claustrophobic, but there's something that people feel sometimes when they've been wearing a mask for a longer period of time. But it's always just it's made me feel a little bit more comfortable. But again, it's a matter of personal choice and and people can make that personal choice themselves. I'm just glad we can have a public conversation about it. How did this how did this story uh, published in the Globe uh, just a, a few days ago? Cancer care system in B.C. Buckling reads the headline as staff shortages lead to soaring wait times. Is this one you've been following for quite some time? Is is, is it getting quite a bit worse than it was several months ago? Can you bring us up to speed?
4: So this is actually something that uh, one of my colleagues, Gary Mason has been covering for quite a while Uh, as a little bit of background issues in BC's cancer care system have been percolating for some time. So in 2014, for example, a number of oncologists had voiced concerns about lousy working conditions, understaffing, uh, all sorts of problems at work that were leading to growing wait times that were impacting, potentially impacting patient care. Uh, BC cancer researchers in the same year spoke out about their program, which was once really highly regarded internationally, saying that it was being stymied by what they called administrative paralysis. Um, in the past 10, 15 years, about three, three past presidents have also Uh, quit their jobs before their terms were up, which hinted at some sort of tension at the agency. Uh, So what is new now is that we have data on exactly what has happened to those wait times and where in the cancer treatment process they are. Uh, And perhaps more significantly, I had lengthy, uh, wide-ranging interviews with four past presidents of BC Cancer whose leadership together spanned 25 years and for the first time uh three of them spoke out they all spoke out about what they viewed as the source of the problem and in the case of three of them they spoke publicly for the first time about why they resigned from their positions early
1: pretty remarkable stuff uh and and this really i mean it may have something to do with covid and i'm sure that covid exacerbated some of these issues but as you report uh this isn't directly due to the pandemic. This is this has been an issue for quite some time, hasn't it?
4: Yeah. Uh, so everyone that I've spoken with said for sure COVID uh, exacerbated conditions. It forced the postponement of thousands of surgeries all across the cancer or all across the healthcare system. But the problems at BC cancer had been simmering for a, a very long time.
1: Andrea, you know, per your reporting, and and I'm just going to read directly from your piece, uh, people can check it out, uh, theglobeandmail.com, only one in five patients, like 20%, referred to an oncologist in BC, receive a first consultation within the recommended two weeks. Uh, BC's average wait times, uh, the longest in Canada, Um, in September, just 20% of patients referred to an oncologist, as mentioned, seen within those two weeks, about 50% had been seen at the four-week mark. Uh, in comparison, about 75% of patients in Ontario are seen within two weeks. When someone receives a devastating diagnosis like cancer, obviously they're going to want to get in to see an oncologist as soon as possible. What's happening in BC? How, how would you contrast that to Ontario or, or quite frankly, many other provinces in Canada?
4: Yeah, so they, the people that I've spoken with attribute this to a number of reasons, including uh, healthcare worker shortage, Uh, a lack of capacity. The past presidents that we had spoken to had talked about how when they took their jobs in early 2010s, that the system was already pretty much full and we needed massive investments in infrastructure in hiring and recruiting specialists in new technologies to meet uh, our growing and aging population, which will come with uh, a huge increase in cancer incidents. So they had presented, uh, you know, big plans to uh, the head of the PHSA board, the Provincial Health Services Authority, saying we need all these investments. They were pretty much ignored. Uh, and, and so now we're at this place now where our health care, our cancer care system is pretty much at the brink.
1: You write, I mean, when you when you talk about, I want to put this stuff into perspective because you do a good job of balancing like statistical data with the implications of that data, right? And so you say a patient's requiring chemo, as an example, about seventy percent, uh, seventy-seven rather. So let's call it three out of four ish. Seventy-seven percent start treatment within the recommended two weeks of a decision. Now, if you look at the implications of that. Uh, A study published in the British Medical Journal, which you reference in November of 2020, found that delaying treatment for cancer by even a month can increase a person's risk of dying by up to 13%. When you start putting people's faces and names here, when this starts becoming real people, if you told somebody that your mother or your son, uh, their risk of dying may increase by more than 10%, because quite frankly, we just can't get you in People are going to start to take that extremely seriously. When it gets personal for people, they take it more seriously. What are you noticing with regards to the general population? Does a story like this resonate with people? What's the response from the general public, do you think? And and what do you see the response from government being?
4: Uh, I've talked to a a number of uh, people who are going through the cancer system or who have gone through the cancer system. And after publication, I've gotten a ton of emails and notes from people who shared similar experiences and a, a good number of them were saying that the anxiety of not knowing and waiting was so stressful and made them feel so fearful that it almost rivaled the cancer diagnosis itself. Um, the the woman Lorraine Glover, who is in my story, she spoke of you know being terrified to. Put her cell phone down because if she missed a call, she wouldn't know how to get back to them. So it was weeks and months of, you know, just hanging on to her phone. Did I miss a call? Who was that? What's next? What's happening to me? Uh, it, it's a deeply anxiety-provoking wait.
1: We have a uh, on our our uh, little guys hockey team getting to know the parents, and, and I won't reveal too much about this person, but there's a, there's a mom uh, of one of the players, and and uh, she she works in healthcare, and uh, I know her, I guess, well enough now to ask her some general questions. I said, "How are you doing?" I said, "How how are your teammates doing? How are your colleagues doing? How's morale in the hospital?" And, and she just kind of looks at me, and, and she didn't really say anything for a few seconds, and I felt like her silence said it all. And she just breathes out heavily, and she goes, "Yeah, it's just." It's just kind of always, you know, and she didn't even really finish her sentence. But I felt like she said so much there. Um, this is your beat. Uh, you know, you talk, I mean, you, you report on social justice and the opioid crisis. And you, you, you have a really good sense, I think, of where people are at. Your empathy is evident in your reporting. Are you noticing the same thing from healthcare professionals? Like, it doesn't strike me as something that's temporary. It doesn't strike me as something, a problem that just solves itself over the next little bit. What are you seeing?
4: It's not good, right? <laughs> like it's not good. Um, it, it, hearing you talk to uh, your friend there, that reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday with a, a gynecological oncologist here in Vancouver, um, and she was saying that she's not seeing any patients within the recommended time frame right now. Uh, she gave me an example. It's six to eight weeks for a first consult with a surgical oncologist. Normally it should be 10 working days but two weeks. Uh, and then after that, you have to book an operating room and that could be another eight to 10 weeks. Uh, meanwhile, when you're waiting for all this, there could be disease progression. Uh, if you're waiting for months to see a surgical oncologist for a first consult, there's a chance that you can no longer, that. A straightforward surgical procedure is no longer enough, that perhaps you need chemotherapy now, maybe you need radiation, and that adds another step waiting. So it could be many months altogether. And she said, uh, I'm gonna quote from her here. She said, it's a really surreal swing for me in 16 years from feeling really excited about the level of care we were providing and now feeling career high levels of moral distress there is shame and guilt, not knowing how to help and trying to decide who gets to go to the OR. Hmm. They are impossible choices.
1: Jeez. It's yeah. like it, it's it's triage by definition, right? Um, but what do you even say? I mean, it gets so personal. I I saw a comment here from Tracy on our live chat, and I appreciate this, says, I've noticed over the past number of years, the mantra seems to have been data, 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 and we're turning people into numbers. And it seems to be easier to dismiss if you see the issue in numbers as opposed to individuals. Um, that's why I'm grateful that you had an opportunity as in your reporting, and I encourage people to to check out your work again at theglobeandmail.com to speak to Lorraine Glover. I mean, Lorraine Glover is is just one of BC's cancer patients, but for her and her family and her loved ones, her fight is everything. Would you leave us with Lorraine's story and how it resonated with you personally? She was, she is
4: so sweet. Uh, She spent so much time talking to me. This is actually her second bout with cancer. Mm. Uh, Her first was more than 30 years ago, I believe. Uh, That time she had gotten in to see a doctor that same day um everything moved very rapidly she had a needle biopsy she had treatment entire thing uh, scary moment she was in her early 40s then mother of two young kids but the whole process was done within two months so uh 2021 summer 2021 she feels a lump in her breast and she's of course very concerned again but her thoughts went back to that first brush and you know BC's cancer care system, very good. This will be fine. And instead, she had this protracted experience that spanned more than a year, uh, just very anxiety-provoking, waiting all the time. When she finally got in to see an oncologist, his first words were, why did you wait so long? Yeah. Uh, Which just floored her because she had been waiting for all these calls the entire time. Uh, On the plus side, I, I speak to her. I've spoken with her regularly throughout the story. She's doing fine now. She finished uh, chemo and she's on a more targeted treatment now. The The last time I spoke with her, which was a few days ago, she said she's not so worried about herself right now, but she's very worried about everyone who follows her, everyone who has cancer now. What is their experience going to be like?
1: Mm, selfless, incredible. Um, I'm grateful that she made herself available to tell her story. And I'm so grateful that you were there to tell it. Do you carry a bit of a, a burden? Like, Can I can I ask that question? You you know, you, your, your reporting is uh, very personal at times. Um, we've talked to you before about some of the work that you've done telling the stories of the people on Vancouver's downtown east side. We were talking about the opioid crisis on this show uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, happened to ask conservative leadership candidate, United Conservative, Alberta's conservative leadership candidate, Travis Taves, former finance minister, about his plan to address the opioid crisis. And he, he's holding the line on what the Kenny government's position has been, which is making more treatment beds, detox and treatment beds available. And, and, uh, and, and quite frankly, pulling back funding for supervised consumption services. You tell these people's stories every single day. How, how do you walk with that and, and manage that?
4: Uh, it's interesting that you ask like, I I think about this a lot. And a couple of days ago, I read some story online From a journalist writing about compassion fatigue and she had written about mass incarceration and trying to deal with the emotional burden that comes with these types of stories and she had written about detaching and sort of not feeling these things anymore and there's sort of this dark humor in journalism that You know, you you go to a crime scene, it's like, oh, this is a this is a great story. And like, you know, you don't feel it that you sort of compartmentalize. Yeah. Uh, But when it comes to things like the overdose crisis and, and stories like this, like I really haven't. And I don't know if that's good or not. Like maybe it would be easier if I could compartmentalize and detach. But I mean, like we've talked about before, like I live in the downtown east side, too, and I see this and like, it's really devastating. And f- for sure, I mean, there, there have been times where I've just burst into tears because it's so miserable and it's so depressing. But at the same time, if you can convey any of that and if that moves anyone, I mean, that's, that is, I would argue, more effective journalism than any number or any stat can, can show.
1: 100%. It's the power of the personal story, right? It's, it's what people can relate to. If it's their mom or their daughter or their son or their uncle, all of a sudden it becomes that much more relatable. We're so grateful for your storytelling and for your willingness to come join us here on the show, Andrea. Thanks for making time for us. We'll look forward to what you're writing this week.
4: My pleasure. Thank you, Brian.
1: You got it. That's Andrea Wu, a journalist with The Globe and Mail. Make sure you give her a follow on Twitter, Of course, every weekday, right before our show, we let you know by way of our official Twitter account at Real Talk RJ, which guests are on the show. We love hearing from those of you that have connected with those guests uh, and oftentimes done a deep dive into their reporting and their journalism, uh, broadening your understanding Of the issues around you. If you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message, thanks to the thousands of you that do, it's easy to do. You just go onto our website, ryanjesperson.com. It's obviously free and it's a great way to stay involved and plugged in with the show. You just go to our homepage, you scroll down to the bottom and it's nice and easy to sign up there. You see the official newsletter, you punch in your email address and you'll get a note every Sunday evening about some of the highlights that were on the show in past. We give you a couple of notes of things you might need to know. It's like the Insider's Report And then we look ahead to the week that's coming up. Uh, If you checked your email late last night or into this morning, if you are one of our subscribers, you probably saw the note from Michael. And I loved this one. I just wanted to read it out. This was an email that just made our day. Got it about three in the afternoon on Friday after we'd signed off. John was already like 11 beers in. Um not uh, true. (laughs) And I was uh I was like helping people, helping old ladies cross the street. John's crushing like his twelfth beer uh Friday at three o'clock. No, but in all seriousness, this from Michael he just wrote in unprompted and he goes, Whoa! Like he was making his way through his archives, uh, through our archives, he must have been. He goes, September twelfth through the sixteenth was such an amazing lineup. We're just pumping our tires here right now, uh reading Michael's email. But it is a real email. I didn't write this, I promise. John, did you write this? You didn't write this, did you? I don't have time to do this stuff. No, okay, good. Michael says, as always, uh, he goes, starting with Charles Adler, who never disappoints. He goes, then Alex Gaynor, you know, that economist that was on to talk about cost of living. Mm -hmm. Alex Gaynor started off with an unexpected but funny joke. He did. And kept rolling with some solid, valuable, easy-to-understand info about the economy. Bullseye. Love it. He says, will Cardinal Maurer, with his unique perspective from the streets a very vulnerable behind-the-scenes look at the death of his family members. Wow, that was a powerful interview, Michael. He goes, what about the National Post, Tristan Hopper? I'm always keen to hear from him with his scathing and sarcastic takes on current events. Author Jared Yates Sexton, incredibly insightful, really synthesized the modern conservative movement. And then he goes, how on earth did you land Rouget and Coates? Yeah, I was surprised more people didn't ask that question. How in the hell did Real Talk land the two senior campaign staffers for Jean Charest 48 hours after he lost the conservative leadership? How did we get those two songbirds to sing just two days after they got walloped in the leadership race? Gift baskets. Gift baskets. What an absolutely fascinating, honest, backstage access that was, says Michael, while still catching their breath from the race, In a week of home runs, those two really stood out. He says, plus, of course, journalist Gary Mason, who Andrea just mentioned. Gary Mason brought a a great breakdown of the conservative race and other recent goings on. Then, of course, Jody Vance, Linda Steele. Steele and Vance wrapping up the week, bringing the heat with plain talk about tough issues. What a grand slam, Michael said. The high watermark of almost two years after a great start. Congratulations, Michael. Your email made our month. But because it was so, it was just so. It was heaping praise upon the team. Uh, we felt like it. It, it might it, not technically nepotism. It might look bad if we awarded Michael the email of the I month was just for that.
2: Say, uh... it, it would
1: look. It would be a bad look. Uh, but Michael, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. That means a ton to us. Listen, if you love the show, if you hate the show, we would love to hear from you. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. dot com. We'll take the hate downloads. We'll take the hate listens. Absolutely, 100%, because we know that not everybody is going to agree with everything we say or everything they hear on this show. That's not our mandate. Our mandate
2: is to get you thinking, to get you really thinking
1: about the issues all around you.
2: And if you want to win that mug, scathing reviews. Scathing reviews
1: (laughs) could win you. A Real Talk Studio mug, although we're still making our way through September and the September email of the month has already been given away in an unprecedented move. Yeah. Catalina, who got us going with the mushy middle email. Great one. That basically dictated conversation on the or at least let me let me say influenced conversation on the show for the better part of a week. Uh, That is essentially what caught our attention and prompted us to award Catalina the email of the month early. So October 1st, that'll reset uh, and there's another mug up for grabs for you then. How about this Brian Jean video at a Calgary? can can we can we pay oh a couple of minutes attention oh to this? Okay. <laughs> now, I know that this isn't maybe like his most serious campaigning, although I, has, has Brian really done much campaigning? I don't think so, but but his campaign team. Uh, I, I think Vitor's official title Is campaign manager Vitor Marciano uh, who, Who's been a, a conservative Political operative For many years And that's not an insult Vitor would know That's a compliment Or at least it's a, An accurate assessment uh, He says hey Everybody that's that's Piling on Brian For this video And we're going to show you A little bit of it uh, Everybody that's piling on He says we ran into a guy Dressed up like Thor In Calgary And so we decided To have a little fun with it mm-hmm. so, so apparently This was not set up They didn't go get A cosplay actor To do this no. But they, they ran into to a guy dressed up as Thor at Calgary. I'm not going to play the whole video, but here's a, a bit of their interaction just off the river.
5: I couldn't help but see that huge instrument. And, and can I borrow that for a minute? Absolutely. You know what? You know what? Wow, that's heavier than it looks. Uh, you know what I want to use this for is to axe taxes so that people don't have to pay tax in Alberta. Um, that's right. You know one of those taxes I want to get rid of? Yeah, what is it? Taxes on oil and gas and diesel, the Albertans' own. Like I'm talking, in, for instance, the royalties we right now pay to the Alberta government, and then we pay on top of that to Quebec or Ontario for equalization payments because our fiscal capacity is so great. So I'm going to stop that. So the money stays in the pockets of Albertans, and we're going to axe more taxes than that. We're going to get rid of that gas tax, that Alberta gas tax that's coming back to your way, just announced a couple days ago. We're going to get rid of that permanently. So Albertans don't pay taxes on the fuel they own. What do you think of that? Bring it. Thor, let's go, man. All right, it's Axel's taxes. Wonderful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jesus. I get it, though. The, the new movie's out, right? Love and Thunder just dropped, and okay. you can stream it, so I get that. <laughs> okay. He's trying to be current, but. Oh. <laughs> oh but like at Thor, is like, okay, bring it. Okay,
1: Brian's told this big. Uh, and, and people are also saying, and I know that this is I'm not gonna I'm not I don't know enough about the the um you know the series to comment on it. But isn't Thor's thing supposed to be hammered on an axe?
2: No, it is an axe. Yeah, it is That's an axe storm and a hammer. Breaker. Stormbreaker, Stormbreaker.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. so okay, so that part's accurate.
2: So his previous one was a hammer, but his new one that he's holding oh. there, yeah, which he
1: also he, very on point.
2: Yeah, so he originally had a hammer, and yeah, I'm a big Marvel fan, so I just know. But in the new ones, he's got Stormbreaker, which is a, yeah. I guess it's an axe hammer, but it it is called an I just googled it.
1: Okay, good stuff. So, so Brian Jean is ramping up his campaign. I mean, this video got a lot, it's it's got like you know almost a hundred thousand views, and people are talking about it. But people are going, well, where where was Brian Jean? Like through the course of this entire campaign, like the majority of people that are going to vote in this United Conservative Party leadership race have already cast their ballots. Right, this is a mail in process. It takes about a month. First week of October, we expect to find out who will be Alberta's next premier. And people are going, where's Where's Brian Jean been for like the last month? I mean, number one, not making himself available on Real Talk. I'm talking to you, Vitor. Um, but also, I mean, with regards to hammering away at the front runner, everybody, I mean, you know, all, all of our sources on and off the record have been telling us it looks like Daniel Smith's going to win this thing by a landslide. Well, obviously, it's resonating with Brian because yesterday, yesterday afternoon, he tweets, friends, while I respect Danielle Smith, I cannot forget the fact that her floor crossing played a large role in electing the NDP in 2015. If she's chosen as leader, the NDP will likely win again in 2023. A vote for Danielle Smith is a vote for Rachel Notley. Well, maybe a little bit late for Brian to be coming out with this scathing attack, right? A vote for Danielle Smith is a vote for Rachel Notley, right? Her floor crossing, her history of poor political decisions. That's me editorializing, my words, not his. But where was Brian Jean hammering away on this? And for that matter, where were all of the other candidates hammering away on this from the very beginning? Why now? I mean, we've almost hit the deadline for mail-in ballots. Like how many tens of thousands have already been submitted? It feels like that campaign has just been asleep at the switch. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, we're going to circle back one more time to his camp to try to get him on the show. I'd love to talk to him to, so we can get some insight into into what exactly is going on. But, but right now it's videos with Thor promising to, again, not pay into equalization per the formula. And I guess in a way trying to convince the people that maybe don't understand how everything works, that that's the way it can work. And in the meantime, the rest of us sitting there wondering what the hell is going on. You can send your thoughts to us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Of course, if you're going to hit us up on Twitter or Instagram for that matter, make sure you use our hashtag, RealTalkRJ. Before we get to a wonderful news story, this is going to fill your buckets, I guarantee it, on this Monday. Positive Reflections presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. I want to remind you it's a great. Week to check out the fall blizzard collection at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Uh, If you're in our neck of the woods, the forecast this week looks incredible like mid to high 20s a few days, why not check out the Cinnamon Roll Centers Blizzard? It's all part of the Fall Blizzard menu at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount and Baseline Road. When you're there, why not pick up a box of Dairy Free Dilly Bars to stock your freezer? Why not a box of Buster Bars? So when the kids ask for one, you've got it ready to go. And you know the most under-discussed, under-celebrated item on the Dairy Queen menu if you ask me the treats a (laughs) pizza not only is it fun to say it's delicious to crush when you visit a dairy queen of northwest edmonton in sherwood park you make sure you let them know because they support real talk you're supporting them every monday we start off our week and uh, again we just love this courtesy of our friends at kubi renewable energy you can get your free solar quote today at kubi energy.ca stories some that we've dug up, some that have been submitted by you and stories that have either restored or reminded us for the reason of our faith in humanity. It's Positive Reflections. And this one submitted by Martin uh, Alstro. Also, that, that that you know Nostra, our good friend on Twitter that's always pumping the mm-hmm. show's tires? Nostra passed this one along as well. So I guess this is a multiple submission entry for Positive Reflections have you heard the story of Alexandros Hertakakis? This kid is a survivor, uh, rocking his Superman T-shirt there. The little fella diagnosed, uh, a di- I mean, just an absolutely devastating one when he's just a little guy, less than a year old, brain cancer, right? And so his parents, uh, with Alexandros now five years old, have been navigating this emotional minefield for years. This kid fighting and fighting and fighting But the tough news is that the treatments that have kept him alive for the past four years have been failing. And doctors have been telling his parents that despite this little boy's will to survive, he may only have a few weeks left. His parents, Nick and Kira, out of Hamilton, Ontario, have been doing everything they can to make his remaining time as meaningful as possible. And so they've been asking him if there's anything he still wanted to experience. His response immediately, Halloween. He said he wanted to see monsters When he was just a little guy, his parents took him to a haunted house in Niagara Falls. Uh, But doctors have cautioned the family against travel. So that's when the Hurtikakis family friends came up with a plan. They're going to bring Halloween to him. And so just, I have chills when I'm reading this, just a couple of weeks ago, dozens and dozens and dozens of people showed up to the Hurtikakis home. They said this is a heartbreaking situation. And so they asked for volunteers to make a spectacular night for Alexandros uh, to dress up and walk down the street for him, to decorate their cars, to drive through a parade past the house Well, complete strangers showed up. As a matter of fact, more than 500 people responded, putting up fake spider webs, carving pumpkins, putting them on the street. And on September 14th, This little boy watched in awe as a swarm of strangers, many of them with their pets as well, paraded through the streets dressed in spooky costumes, zombies, witches, monsters, skeletons, inflatable decorations, even his favorite, Paw Patrol. Just incredible, said his parents. Face paint for other kids that were visiting. There were nurses there from a local hospice, specialists in end-of-life care. They said, we're feeling every emotion you can imagine. His mom says, tears of joy, tears of sadness, tears of hope, the sense of community, how these strangers showed up for our son. Humbling and heartbreaking to see this community come together. And while this story may not have a totally happy ending, we're still holding out hope. The fact of the matter is, strangers care about this little guy Maybe this story will influence you to do something in your community today, to reach out to somebody that you know, or maybe somebody that you don't, to realize that that little extra bit of effort, that empathy, that compassion, can fuel someone in their arduous journey. This week, we celebrate Alexandros Pertikakis and the hundreds of people who made his September You can send us your positive reflection to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You can hit us up on Twitter with it as well. Of course, as always, it's presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Throughout this week on Real Talk, we're going to be focusing on stories that impact us in our own backyards and beyond. We're going to be taking a look at the international stories that matter, including Canada's claim to arctic sovereignty the northwest passage that's one we're going to do a deep dive on plus a political diatribe a disagreement dr sajad fazl is going to join us on wednesday make sure you circle your calendar for that and on thursday that's going to be our final show of the week as our team will pause on friday to recognize the national day for truth and reconciliation real talkers thanks for making time for us on this monday we look forward to seeing you tomorrow
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan.